before I pray, I want to really encourage you. Matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, I'd be willing to beg you today, if you have your Bible, to turn to Romans chapter 5. The words that we're using as our text, Romans 5 verses 15, 16, and 17 will be on the screen. But I want you to hear some more verses that are at the end of the chapter and also uh, a couple of pages over in Romans chapter 8. I think this is going to be one of the most important messages that I ever share with you. I'm really convinced of that because we're going to talk about the gift of God's righteousness for each one of us. Now, folks, I know over the years, perhaps I've had some good sermons, some mediocre sermons, and some very poor sermons, and I would readily admit that. But what I'm asking you today is hear not me, but hear what the Word of God has to say. And I appreciate the fact that y'all have allowed me to be your pastor all these years, and you've been faithful, and I just pray that I'm going to be faithful to you in presenting the Word of God. This past week, um, and I love humor, uh, and I'm going to take that this was something humorous, but I was at the store, and one of our church members uh, was saying, he said, you know, the message Sunday, he said, I'd fallen asleep, and my wife, I'm not going to call any names, my wife started punching me and saying, wake up, I think Herbert's getting ready to say something important. Um, (laughs) Y'all wake up, I hope I'm getting ready to say something important, all right? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll make yourself known in these moments ahead. I pray that as we hear these words of Scripture, that the Spirit of God that inspired the Apostle Paul to write these would now inspire our hearts and minds to hear and understand. Oh God, I especially pray that if there are those here that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior, that they would hear today that the good news of the gospel is that when we trust Christ as our Savior, you see His blood and his, blood, and his righteousness upon us, and not our sin. And Lord, I pray for we who are Christians, sometimes there are doubts, Lord, if we're really going to be able to get into heaven with trusting Christ as our Savior truly enough. Oh God, may that be answered forever and ever this morning as we see how important the blood of Christ is and what the blood of Christ has done for us who believe. Father, please, please, Lord, Make yourself known through your word in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me once again remind you that we have been studying some of the gifts of God. And we're going to look at six. And let me mention those one more time. I'm doing this just to keep you focused on where we're headed, okay? So, Wanda Joe, if you'll go to that first overhead. Here's at least six gifts that the word of God tells us that God gives us. Number one, and most importantly, his son. Number two, the gift of God's grace. Number three, the gift of eternal life. And we've already studied those. This morning, we're going to look at the gift of righteousness. Next Sunday, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully a couple of Sundays after that, the gift of spiritual gifts that God gives the church. Folks, before I read this passage of Scripture, let me say these things. In our study of God's gifts to you and to me and the world, I pray that we have established 
some biblical truths. Not what I want to think, want to make you believe, but what the Word of God says we should believe. The first thing is that all of us have sinned. That's Romans 3.23, and we've read that often in these messages. All of us fall short of the glory and the plan and purpose God has for us. And because God is holy and we are sinful, folks, don't you see in the Word of God that sin cannot abide in the presence of God? So if we're sinners and God is holy, then we have got a great big problem, don't we? Would you say amen? We do. And folks, even worse than that is the fact that sin leads to death. Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death. And that is not just death at the end of life, it is spiritual death. That is we live this life, there's no uh relationship with God because we're dead spiritually and sin has separated us from God. And even to make this more tragic, according to Romans 14 beginning with verse 10, One day, all of us will stand before God, and we will give an account of our lives. And folks, from these biblical facts, we need to ask several questions. Question number one. And again, I want you to hear, I am in no way trying to intimidate you or put fear in your heart. We have got to paint the whole picture here, okay? If our time to stand before God came today or tonight, why should God, who is holy and we who are sinful, why should God allow us into his holy heaven to spend eternity with him? And secondly, how can you and I be made right with God? How can you and I as sinners become worthy of living with God in heaven throughout eternity? And praise God, here's the answer. And these three very powerful verses in Romans chapter 5, verse 15, 16, and 17. And folks, please hear the Apostle Paul explain how you and I are made right before God. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Paul's, the teachings in Romans are so deep, especially in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. I mean, I have struggled to understand some of these passages of Scripture. But I want to tell you, when I looked in the concordance and found some of the gifts that the Bible describes, Paul speaks about the gifts, the gift of righteousness. Listen to these verses. If they seem confusing at first, we're going to try and make them simple and plain, okay? Listen to this. And I want to, I want to point out, and I'm going to say this again in a few minutes. Five times Paul mentions free gift, free gift, free gift. Listen to this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, and much more is used twice and then abounded is used later in this passage of Scripture, much more have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Next verse. 
And the free gift is not like the effect of that one man's sin. Now, again, he's making a comparison between Adam, who was the first man, Adam and Eve, who sinned and brought death into the world. He's making a comparison because, you see, when Jesus came, he is the new man. He is the one who has restored everything between sinful man and holy God. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Remember again, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Back to Romans 5.16. But the free gift following any trespasses brings justification. Don't move past that yet, Wanda Joe, and I'm just trying to help, okay? That word justification is a very, very important word in the Word of God. And we'll explain that in just a second, okay? But listen to verse 17, okay? Next verse. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of what? Righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, don't... Don't turn away from this passage of Scripture. It's very deep, but I think it's very simple in a way. First of all, I want to point something out. Who is the man writing these verses, and what does he know about being made right with God and being made worthy of being with God throughout eternity? Well, I hope all of us know that the Apostle Paul writes the book of Romans. But who is Paul? Yes, he is the greatest evangelist perhaps the world has ever known outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would be equivalent to the Billy Graham of his day. But listen to what he says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. And folks, take these words to heart. In essence, Paul is giving briefly his testimony. He says, Though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted him. And who is the him? It is Christ. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed with me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now listen to that next sentence. This is what Paul says about himself. I am the foremost of sinners. Paul is saying here, I am the worst sinner that's ever lived on this earth. Look at the next verse. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those to believe in him for eternal life. Who is this man that is writing Romans 5? It is a man who knows that he is the greatest sinner who has ever lived on this earth. Let me read another passage of Scripture where Paul tells some things about himself. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. And folks, I want you to hear this. It's going to... For we who don't have a Jewish background, it's going to seem strange. But everything that Paul is going to say about himself before he met Christ on the road to Damascus is the way that he felt that he was going to be saved and enter into heaven. Listen to this. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. You remember Pharisees were the ones that Jesus had the most trouble with. They, because of their good works, thought that they would automatically enter into heaven. Paul says in verse 6, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, please never ever forget that not only did he persecute Christians, he persecuted many of them even to death. As Stephen was being stoned, he was there encouraging the crowd to throw more and more stones. And listen to what he says in the latter part of verse 6. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul thought that in the face and eyes of God, he was blameless. He was absolutely perfect. But listen to what else he says. But who, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You know what he's saying here? All of those, what he thought were good works, all of those man-made efforts to get into heaven, he sees them now as what? He's going to say basically garbage. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And look at verse 9 in just a minute. And count them as refuge or garbage in order that I may gain Christ. Now, folks, listen to verse 9. And if you will, Wanda Joe, go back to verse 6. I mean, verse, um, the first slide, verse 6, okay? Look at, the, look at this verse, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. At first he thought he was perfect in God's sight, and he did not need a Savior. He would save himself. And so he had a righteousness under the law, which is a man-made righteousness. But listen to verse 9. If you go now to verse 9, thank you, Wanda Joe, for being patient with me. Listen to this. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Folks, what is he saying here? With all these things he could say about himself, he thought he was perfect. But something happened in Paul's life. You remember what it was? On the road to Damascus, going to persecute Christians, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I want to tell you something. When we meet Jesus Christ, you know the first thing that we recognize is that we are a sinner that is lost. But you know what he found out also? That Jesus was reaching out to him in love and saying, I want you to have a righteousness that is not based on good works, but is based on belief in me. And folks, think about this for just a second. Paul, before meeting Christ, thought that he was perfect. And folks, there are many people in this world today in their self-righteousness, think that they don't need a Savior. Let me tell you who is trying to persuade you in that direction. It is Satan, the very devil himself. And you hold on to that thought because by the end of this message, it's going to become a whole lot clearer. Paul thought that he would get to heaven by his works. And again, that attitude is prevalent in our world. 
And I want to mention some things to you. Good works, church membership, baptism, worship, Bible study, and prayer. A lot of people think, if I do these things, that's my ticket or passport to heaven. And let me tell you something. Good works, church membership, baptism, worship, prayer, Bible study are all good things and are expected as a result of our receiving Christ. But these things do not give us the ticket to heaven. Because listen to what Isaiah had said centuries before Paul wrote these words in Romans 5. In Isaiah 64, 6, and I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible and then tell you how it sounds in the King James. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we put on our prized robes of righteousness, we find they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we fade, wither, and fall, and our sins, like the wind, sweep us away. Many of you know that verse in the King James, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Folks, regardless of how many good works we could do in this lifetime, it is not enough to enter into heaven because our good works cannot cancel out our sins. And that's the truth of the gospel. But folks, that's the bad news. But here, praise God, is the good news. So how are you and I going to get into heaven Again, Paul, who was the world's greatest sinner, found the answer. And he shares that answer in Romans 5, verses 15, 16, and 17. Our sin brings death and separation from God. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, tells us how God makes us right with himself. May I say that again? The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, tells us how God makes you and me right with himself. Number one, God brings us into right relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. Our sins bring death. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins brings eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you still got your Bible open, look at Romans 5, verse 21. So that as sin, and this is not on the overhead, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also reigned through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Folks, This righteousness, this right relationship with God is a work of God on our behalf. Secondly, God's way of bringing us into right relationship with himself is God's free gift. Salvation is free, but it cost our Savior his very own life and his very own blood. And as I've already mentioned, in these three verses, 15, 16, and 17, Paul mentions free gifts five times. In verse 15, twice. In verse 16, twice. And in verse 17, one time. What is this free gift from God? Here it is, Ephesians 2.8, that we've read, I think, every Sunday. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Folks, the gift of God is God's salvation. 
And folks, this free gift brings at least two things to all who trust in Jesus Christ. In verse 16, the latter part of verse 16 uh, of Romans 5, Paul says, But the free gift of God following many trespasses brings justification. And please, please don't ease out of this. And folks, and I've just prayed and prayed and prayed all week that God would make this so clear and so plain. And something exciting is getting ready to be said, okay? The word justification is such an important Bible word. Justification means to be righteous in God's sight. It means to be made righteous, to be established as right, to set or, to be, to, to set or put right. Folks, you and I are justified how? Through Christ. And folks, we are put right with God. We're sinners. He is holy, but Christ steps in and He justifies us. He puts us right with God. And there's a second thing here in verse 17. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Now, folks, again, please give me a a little bit of time to explain this. And I promise you, God willing, I'll quit. Time as God quits speaking in His Word, I'll quit, okay? Let me try and explain what righteousness means. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, because we are not. I've told you this illustration a number of times, probably. When I first moved to Roxborough, somebody in the church, and and it it was not their fault, but they were called to court, and they wanted me to go and just be with them as a moral support and to sit with them. And, and I'd never been in the courtroom before. And, and I was rather amazed at all the many people that were there that had charges against them. And I remember a young man in his late teens, but a young man had been caught driving under the influence. And as a young man came before the judge, he did not have a lawyer. And it was obvious that this being his first offense, the, the judge did not want to throw the book, so to speak, at him. And so this is what the judge said. He said, young man, do you have anybody representing you? And the young man said, no. Obviously, he, as a young man, couldn't afford a lawyer. And the judge looked out in the court and said, is there any one who can come and stand with this young man and say a good word about it? And I thought, well, surely his dad or his mom are going to jump up and run up there and say, Your Honor, this is our child. We know he's a good man. And we'll try and help him to get through this. But no one got up and went up to help the young man. And the judge asked a second, and if my memory serves me a third time, is there anyone who can say a good word about this man? And no one did. No one stood up. I didn't know the boy. I felt like going up there and saying, Your Honor, there's got to be something good about this young man. Well, folks, when you and I stand before God, who is the righteous judge, who is not a fool nor an idiot, regardless of what people think about him, who will say a good word for us? If God were to open the books on my life and your life and see all of those sins that we have committed, all the times that we have rebelled against him, all the times God said, do this, and we've done something else. Is there anyone who would stand for us? And praise God, there is. 
Listen to these verses of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 to 28. For Christ has entered not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one. And folks, this is all another sermon within itself. But Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Let me stop right there. Okay? Where's Jesus at? He's in the sanctuary in heaven. He is in the presence of who? God the Father. What is He doing there? He is appearing, look at those last three words, on our behalf. Think about this for just a second. In my Bible, I was so overwhelmed the first time that I really understood this. That where it says, on, my beh- on our behalf, I put down on behalf of Herbert Brown. Do you and I know that our Savior is in the presence of God on our behalf right now? And you might say, well, that's just one verse. Let me read the rest of these, okay, before I go to the next one. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy place yearly with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes the judgment, so Christ having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Christ is in heaven waiting for us to get there so that when we stand before the Father, let me not give it away, listen to this out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 John 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Do you hear this? Folks, and I didn't mean for that to say, folks, do you understand what John is saying? If you have a King James or even a Revised Standard, the word advocate is used. We have an advocate before the Father. Folks, I want to tell you, there's so much more to this verse than I ever imagined. Because you remember one of the descriptions of Satan himself is what? In Revelations 12:10, he is called the accuser of mankind. You remember in the book of Job that God has a heavenly counsel and Satan is able to come. And what does he do? He accuses Job and he says, God, if you weren't so good to Job, if you didn't bless him, if he didn't have so much stuff, he wouldn't serve you. You remember the story? He is the accuser. And folks, I'm praying that I've got the right understanding of this, that when you and I stand before God, Satan's going to be there saying, don't you remember all those sins that he committed? And folks, it'd take a time for him to talk about all the sins that I'd committed. But folks, listen, when we get before God, even if Satan would accuse us of being unworthy to be in heaven, because Satan wants us where? He wants us in hell. You know, I read, and it's not on the overhead, because this just, I suddenly discovered this yesterday. At practically every funeral that I do, I, I read about the same verses. You know that. And out of Romans chapter 8, and if you still have your Bible open, 
turn over to Romans chapter 8, and let me read to you, beginning with verse 31. And I'm going to read this. You can follow along with me. I'm going to read this out of the Living Bible, okay? What can we ever say to such wonderful things as these? If God is on our side, who can ever be against us? Verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, won't he also surely give us anything else? Now listen to verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? I believe Paul sees something here, that when you and I stand before God, Satan and all the agents of hell would want us not to enter into heaven, but God's not going to listen to the accusers. You know, he's going to listen to, he's going to listen to his son. And his son is going to be there on our behalf. And his son is going to say, yes, Father, oh, Herbert Brown was pretty low. And he did a whole lot of things that he knew he shouldn't have done. And he said a whole lot of stuff that he should have never even said, let alone thought. But his sins were washed in my blood that I shed on Calvary. I'm not trying to be too emotional. Man, that just blows me out of the water. It doesn't give me a right to go out and do whatever I want to in sin. But it helps me to see that on that day when I stand before my Maker and before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords or before the Eternal God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will be there in my defense. And all I would be able to say to a holy God is, I'm guilty. But in Jesus Christ, our guilt has been taken away. I got so excited I forgot to read the rest of the verses in Romans. Let me, let me go back and read verse 33. And y'all forgive me. I'm not, I'm not trying to put on a show this morning. Man, I ought to tell you, when the Word of God becomes alive, it does something in your heart. Amen. Verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself. That's justification, okay? Listen to verse 34. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? Folks, if anyone should condemn us, it should be the Son of God because our sins caused him to be nailed on the cross. But listen to this in verse 34. No, for he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God. And perhaps your version says interceding for us. The Living Bible says pleading for us there in heaven. Do you get the picture? Our Lord is in heaven interceding, pleading for us before the Father. And you see, when Satan would accuse us of our sin, God abundantly pardons us and God has made us right with himself. Folks, I didn't read the second verse in 1 John. Let me read this. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, that satisfied God's righteous judgment against sin. 
Folks, that's why we can say when we get to heaven, we know that we're going to enter in. And it's not because of our good works or because we're a Southern Baptist or because we might have preached a sermon or, or did visitation or taught a Sunday school class. It is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to close by saying this. Christ's work for us and His salvation for us is above and beyond our comprehension. That's why I believe the Apostle Paul keeps using the expression much more, much more, much more. And folks, let me conclude with this verse. Verse 20. Romans 5, verse 20. And it's, again, I, I want to just ask you, these are hard verses to understand, but, but folks, read and meditate on these passages of Scripture. Listen to this. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what that means? Here's the chief sinner saved on the road to Damascus with all of his sin and rebellion against God. He said, God's grace to me abounded much more than my sin. Praise the Lord. The gift of righteousness through the Son of God. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. Don't do anything if God's not speaking to your heart. But folks, today, if you need a Savior, if you need someone to stand on your behalf in the presence of Almighty God, He's already there and He wants to do it for you. We've sang the solid rock many, many times, haven't we? We're going to sing it as a hymn of decision. But listen to the first stanza and the last stanza. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. In the fourth stanza, when he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you let God speak to your heart this morning? Do you need a Savior? He's here. He died on the cross for every one of us here. If He could save Paul, He can save every one of us. And my brother and sister in Christ, if you doubt your salvation is secure, look to the blood of Jesus. He's pleading for us there in heaven. The victory has already been won. One day we'll realize it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you speak through your word. I pray now, Father, that you'll speak through your spirit. That if there's someone here who needs to trust Christ as their Savior, they will trust him. Not under coercion, but under love. Knowing that Jesus loves them so much that he gave himself to take away their sin. And to justify them and make them right in your sight. And Father, I pray for us as Christians. Oh God, you have done so much for us. God, help us that we will give our hearts and our lives to you. Lord, we thank you for the assurance of salvation. We thank you that on that day that we stand before God the Father, God the Son will be there pleading our case for us. Thank you, Father that the penalty and guilt of our sin has been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And as Donald and Gilda sang that first song, thank you that for we who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Father, please speak in these moments of decision. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn this